Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us, or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, Buck Sexton here with you. Welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for joining. Great to have you. Oh, my. Oh, my. Much to discuss today. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I'm sorry I was not able to be the first to tell you last night the election results. I uh, mistimed that one a little bit. But nonetheless, I'm sure you have probably heard that uh, Roy Moore did not win, although he has still yet to concede, right? Still yet to concede officially. Has not, did, did not win. So not all that much time I want to spend on that today. Maybe a little bit of an after-action report. I don't, as some of my conservative uh, fellow media folks... I guess maybe they're colleagues, although we don't work together, but people on my side of the media spectrum, a lot of them seem to take a particular delight in uh, getting angry with Bannon over this one. But I I just don't find that in this case. I just don't find it helpful. I don't really know what the purpose of that is. So more lost. uh, But we'll also talk about we'll talk about more. We'll talk about taxes, which looks like the tax reform package is going to go through. But I think the single biggest, most important story today, remember the election results came in last night, uh, the single biggest story today has to do with the investigation into Russia collusion and President Trump. At some point, not only have we gone beyond the benefit of the doubt for Mueller, the uh, plethora of left-wing partisans that he surrounded himself with and all these different reasons to believe that there were partisan shenanigans at work both in excusing Hillary for her crime and then trying to not just start an investigation with Trump but also push for as many prosecutions for process crimes as possible. At, At some point we get to ask the question, when is it too much? When is it time for us to say that uh, this is is clearly a tainted investigation that had from the from its beginnings partisans engaged in a political hit against the president of the United States? Because we have a lot of evidence for it. We have both the actions that have been taken that I find highly suspect. Loretta Lynch meeting on the tarmac with Bill Clinton, right? The way the whole leak of a phone call between Kizilyak, uh, Ambassador Kizilyak and Michael Flynn went down and then the prosecution of Flynn and the, the, the whole G- fusion GPS connections into the FBI. And there is the very real possibility. 
and I've been saying it here on the show for a while, that Hillary Clinton, and this we have to keep this in mind because the media is going to try to bury this thread as much as possible. But Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC paid for completely unverified and in many cases already proven to be false allegations, innuendos, smears, rumors about President Trump in this dossier. And then that opposition research was used as the basis for an ongoing counterintelligence investigation that would have been, were it not a counterintelligence investigation, a gross criminal violation of the rights of people involved in it, right? They get this little special, little special uh, get out of jail free card for the feds when they say it's a counterintelligence investigation because they don't need a criminal predicate. They're just gathering information if it involves foreigners and foreign influence in this country. But that would be a grotesque abuse of power, especially when you're talking about a presidential campaign. So Fusion GPS, Oppo Research, used as the basis for the counterintelligence investigation and then used as the basis for the Mueller probe once the counterintelligence investigation could not come up with anything. And the hope being that they would ensnare Trump and others in an investigation that is unbounded by any real mandate. Right? It can do whatever it wants. Mueller can go look after whatever he can look into whatever he wants to do. That is not yet entirely proven, but that is a narrative of events that is looking increasingly likely to be true. That is a narrative of events that would also I don't think the, I don't think the media could ever recover from it. I don't think any honest person could look at what happened with the fusion GPS. Russia collusion investigation, if in fact what I've just explained to you is the case and say anything other than the, the media was engaged in a uh, in a coup by propaganda and by prosecutorial misconduct. So that's a storyline you have to keep in mind, because I have more for you on the fusion GPS today. Yes, it turns out that a woman who is married to a senior FBI investigator who was involved in the Mueller probe, who was demoted on the Mueller team because he met with Fusion GPS. His wife was doing research for Fusion GPS. I'm sorry, folks, but this is... You really want to, anyone really want to tell me that's a coincidence? There's a lot of different oppo research outfits in the world. A lot of people do a lot of things. The FBI is a very big place. I forget what the full number was that uh, earlier in the week during some of these hearings they said, but it's in the you know the, the tens of thousands of FBI agents across the country. It just so happens that one of the FBI agents who's involved in what could be a end end the presidency investigation, his wife is doing research for Fusion GPS, which may have been the basis for the whole investigation that could bring down the presidency. I mean. I'm not making any of this up. You know this verifiable fact. This is not a conspiracy. In fact, people that are claiming this is nothing are coincidence theorists. Oh, it's all a big coincidence. It's all a big coincidence. So uh, perhaps we'll return to that fusion GPS thread here in just a few moments. Um, Because I, I am telling you this now. I have some concerns that 
they're not going that that Mueller, as I've been saying, Mueller maybe is is going to end relatively soon. I wouldn't bet on it, but it's possible. And with no charges against Trump. The media is going to need something to switch to. And so I, I can already see it happening, right? They're going to come up with something else. It's going to be you know the the Me Too movement weaponized against Trump, or they'll have some other reason why he has to step down because they didn't get him on Russia collusion. And if Mueller's prosecuting people for you know Mickey Mouse stuff during the investigation, lying to the FBI about something that doesn't matter that nobody cares about, it's a lot harder for the the partisan left to say, oh well, you know he got a pass from Mueller. I mean Mueller's not giving anybody a pass. But so I have that concern that even at the end of all this, we won't hear the end of it and there'll be no accountability for those who all along have been saying the president's going to get frog marched out of the White House in handcuffs. Here's the even even bigger bombshell today. And that is that you have the text messages from FBI official Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, an FBI lawyer with whom he was having an affair, as I understand it. Right. That's the. That's they're both married, but they were, you know, engaged in an, in an extramarital situation, I believe. Am I misstating this, Tyrone? Please correct me if so. And they have all these text messages between them and struck, uh, who is a senior counterintelligence investigator. Again, keep in mind, everybody, with my whole is it a conspiracy or a coincidence test? FBI has I, 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 roughly 30,000, I think maybe it's more, but something like that across the country. Um, it just so happens that one who's involved at the very senior levels of counterintelligence, which is what all this information that they were gathering about Trump and Russia and collusion was initially under the umbrella of counterintelligence, right? This isn't an FBI agent who's doing, you know, cybercrime cases out in Montana, You know, this is an FBI guy who's very senior, who's in the counterintelligence side of the house. Right. And as somebody I can tell you from the CIA side, where you are in the building, what you work on matters a whole lot. Right. You could ask me a lot of questions about, you know, what was going on in in South America when I was in the agency. I would have had no idea because I didn't work South America. It didn't matter to me. Right. It wasn't what I was doing. So. Back to. Uh. What we're talking about here with Strzok, he is a counterintelligence guy and he is somebody uh, who had exchanged these text messages and we are told don't pay any attention to it. But this is a message that was sent during the 2016 campaign and it contains discussions about various candidates. And on March 2nd, Strzok texted Page that someone asked me who I'd vote for, I guess, Ohio Governor John Kasich. Uh, serious. OK, well, there's there's a lot of stuff here, but seriously, would you not vote Democrat? Page responded. I don't know. Struck answered. I suppose Hillary Clinton. I would vote D. Page affirmed. Two days later, Page texted struck. God, Trump is a loathsome human. Uh, yet he may win. Struck responded. Good for Hillary. Later the same day, Strzok texted Page, oh, my God, Trump's an idiot. He's awful, Page answered. America will get what the voting public deserves, said Strzok, to which Page responded, that's what I'm afraid of. Later that same day, Strzok texted Page, "Okay, I may vote for Trump. What? 
Paige answered. Anyway, we could go on and on with this, but the point is there's there's some anti-Trump, um, there's some anti-Trump sentiment expressed here. But the single most important point in all of this is that there was there were reasons to believe that there might have been actions taken by this senior FBI counterintelligence official in opposition to Trump. Here's the text that got a lot of attention today. I want to believe the path you threw out. This is from Struck to Page. I want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office, uh, that there's no way he gets elected, he being Trump, but I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. What is that supposed to mean? We can't take that risk. And what was the path, the quote path thrown out for consideration in Andy, senior DOJ guy, Andy's office that would prevent this catastrophe of Trump's election, in their opinion, from happening. This is a conversation between people who are involved, who would be involved in the Russia collusion investigation. If you're going to tell me that this shouldn't raise some very serious questions about the impartiality of this investigation, then I'm going to have to tell you, well, okay, I guess then a judge can say anything about a defendant before he sits on the bench and, and presides over a trial. Uh, you know, there's recusal in the DOJ. Why is Jeff Sessions recused, right? Recusal's all about uh, whatever you decide it is. It's about ethics. So you can have people, you can have Trump haters, a, a, a group of Trump haters involved in the very investigation that could bring down Trump's presidency, disciplinary actions already taken against them. And people are trying to pass it off today on the left, like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. People are allowed to have opinions. Oh, so that's the new standard. People are allowed to have opinions. Are they allowed to talk about a possible pathway to preventing a Trump presidency and refer to a conversation had on U.S. federal government property about that? And we don't ask any questions. I'm sorry, folks. This is too much. The fix has been in all along, but now we are seeing it. And it is an unavoidable conclusion that this has been a partisan hit from the beginning. I'll let you hear from uh, Rod Rosenstein today. I mean, he was saying no, 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 but I've got some thoughts on how bureaucrats tend to think think about these things. Uh, 844-900-2825. I got a question for you. Should Rosenstein fire Mueller? Should the Trump should the Trump team just be like, you know what? Forget it. We're going to take the hit. Fire Mueller. What do you think about that? I'm starting to think it would be interesting. There would be a lot of liberal tears. We could be bathing in liberal tears for many, many years to come. Uh, We'll see. 844-900-2825. A little more on this. I'll give you my sense of why this is a big problem. I think it's a huge problem. And uh, then we'll talk about taxes and other things. A little Roy Moore aftermath situation. We got a packed show. I'll be right back. My question to you is, how with a straight face can you say that this group of Democrat partisans are unbiased and will give President Trump a fair shake? We recognize we have employees with political opinions, and it's our responsibility to make sure those opinions do not influence their actions. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so... Uh, I believe that Director Mueller understands that and that uh, he is running that office appropriately 
recognizing that people have political views, but ensuring that those views are not in any way a factor in how they conduct themselves in office. Look, Rosenstein's a bureaucrat. Uh, What else is he going to say? Right. He's saying, yeah, basically his answer there to the committee, this uh, this is down on Capitol Hill today is, yeah, you know, I think Mueller's probably running a tight ship and making sure that there's no uh, political malarkey going on. But he doesn't know. He doesn't know. We're supposed to think there's no political malarkey when we know that one of the anti-Trump senior DOJ officials was also the same person, Peter Strzok, I believe, although I'm starting to get the names mixed up because there's so many of them who was involved in changing reckless to extremely careless because it would have seemed a little too weird to say that Hillary Clinton did everything in the statute under the uh, Espionage Act that would have qualified for criminal prosecution word for word and been like, but we're not going to charge her. So they had to change. They had to create the rec- the uh, the extremely careless carve out for her. That was politics, right? We all know that. Comey standing up in front of the American people to say that Hillary would not be charged instead of the attorney general, Loretta Lynch. That was politics, right? We all know that. You see, I'm not just looking at this from the perspective of, oh, look at these texts and emails and the things that are being said. Maybe they don't like Trump. We know they don't like Trump. We're finding out more about it. We're just building an even bigger case. But I'm also looking at this from the fact that we have actions in the past from the DOJ that was clearly political. Let me just let me pose a few things to you before, because I want to spend a little more time on this, because I understand bureaucracy that I can tell you. I worked in a very large one. And it was the part of the CIA that I hated the most, that it was a bureaucracy, which is overwhelmingly a mediocrity factory um, that also seeks first and foremost to protect itself. And this is not, you know, and the agencies lean and mean by bureaucracy standards. A lot of other federal agencies are a whole lot more uh, self-protecting and slothful. But I want to put out some some uh, notions to you that we will address on this side of this break. And I also would like to hear what you think about all this. Uh, do you think that it's clear from these texts that we have a very partisan thing going on with this Mueller investigation in terms of the people conducting it? Never mind the basis of it. I mean, the people that are given the power and authority to conduct the investigation. OK. The IRS was weaponized under the Obama administration against conservatives. And against conservatism. That's a fact. Why is it that today it's considered tinfoil hat conspiratorial fluoride in the water for us to say that the DOJ at the top level, not the whole thing, but some senior figures in the DOJ during the election and afterwards may have weaponized the powers of the Department of Justice to take down the Trump administration? How is that crazy? The IRS did it a few years ago to help out Obama and the Democrats. And it wasn't the whole IRS, but it was a senior official in it. It was enough. Why is it crazy to think that the DOJ might be the, might be have, uh, doing the same thing? And by the way, we have evidence that that's exactly what happened. So I think we should explore, and we will. 
right after the break. Attorneys are supposed to avoid uh, not just the actual impropriety itself, but the appearance of impropriety. Uh, the special counsel has hired at least eight attorneys who have direct connections to both the to either the Obama or Clinton campaigns. Don't you think that creates an appearance of impropriety? I'm not aware of any impropriety. Uh, we do have regulations. The special counsel is subject to all the department's rules uh, and subject to oversight by the department, including the inspector general. I'm not aware uh, of any violation of those rules. Okay, isn't that isn't that cute? Not a, not aware of any violations. Not really much of an answer. They're not confidence inspiring. You got a a whole squad. You've got the the uh, the legal avengers of the never Trumpers who are in charge of an investigation that ha- still has no real criminal predicate. There's still no statute that they are supposed to be figuring out if it was or was not violated. Just go go look at a whole bunch of stuff because Russia. That's what the, and we've had former federal prosecutors here on the show, former DOJ officials to say that that's just not the way that it goes. That's not the way this works. But, you know, sure enough. Uh, here we are. You have and this is producer Amy pulled together this list for me uh, of different officials that I think we could ask some questions about. For example, these are all DOJ people. And you've already heard, I think, nine of the 17 lawyers that we know about, or no, I'm sorry, nine of the 16 lawyers that we know about have donated to Democrats, gave to the campaigns of Barack or Hillary Clinton, and I don't think any gave any money to Trump, okay? So let's let's not pretend like this is, a, oh, there's some on one side, some on the other. This is an anti-Trump squad that Mueller has pulled together. There's no question. It's just how bad is it? And how much is it affecting their work and their mentality? But here we go. This is the list, courtesy of producer Amy. Bruce Orr, a senior Justice Department official, he was demoted amid ongoing investigation into his contact with the opposition research firm responsible for the anti-Trump dossier. This was confirmed to Fox News. Uh, So you've got Bruce Orr in there. You've got Peter Strzok, Justice Department official. uh, Officials are looking over the 10,000 texts. I read one of them to you before between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. She was a lawyer, by the way, assigned to the probe into Russia, Trump collusion. Oh, wow. Remember, there are a lot of people working at the FBI, a lot of people work at DOJ that, do, that have absolutely nothing to do with any of this Trump. That's, that's important for two reasons. One, it's a reminder that, you know, most of the, you know, if you meet someone from the FBI, don't be like, you guys are, you know, you guys are giving Trump a raw deal because... 99, literally 99% of FBI agents are putting away, uh, you know, child traffickers, narco smugglers, and all kinds of terrible people. That's what the FBI does. And thank you, FBI, for doing that. I'm just talking about the 1% or so in the FBI that seems to be on a, a quest of vengeance to end the Trump presidency. Right? That, that, that's what I'm focusing in on. Oh, and then the other reason this is important, that's one, right? Let's not, and I've been pretty good about this, I think. When people are talking about the deep state, I kept saying the deep state is, understand, it's a subset. It's not the whole agency. It's not the whole federal government. It's not even a majority. It's a a pretty small contingent that take partisan actions against Trump from within. But that doesn't mean it's not powerful. It doesn't mean that they couldn't end the Trump presidency or 
obstruct his agenda. They absolutely could and are trying to. But I think it's important that we keep these different issues in in a proper context and not just, you know, yell and scream and shout about how bad how bad the federal government is. Okay. Uh, but the other part of it is also that these people are tied, these anti-Trumpers I'm talking about from the DOJ and FBI, they just happen to be involved in this investigation. They just happen to be tied to people that either work for or spoke to or had contact with Fusion GPS. Now, this this stinks, my friends. This is, as an old mentor of mine, you say, this is a big stinking fish on my desk. You want me to ignore it? Come on. There's clearly something going on here. Uh, Andrew Weissman, I mentioned Peter Strzok and how he was wondering about to Lisa Page about trying to have an insurance policy against Trump's presidency. Very strange thing for someone to say, and you know, when they're working on these issues. Jeannie Ree, another member of the special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation team, is facing questions over bias. Because she used to represent ex-Obama aide Ben Rhodes and the Clinton Foundation. And you also have uh, Andrew Weissman in here, who's one of special counsel Mueller's top investigators. Uh, He was, uh, well, he has some ties to Wilmer Hale. And Wilmer Hale has ties to Mueller and there's all kind and Hillary Clinton and the email controversy. And you look at all this stuff. I understand the connections become complicated there's a lot going on but it's bad it is very very troubling to see all this happening and we'll, we'll a few observations about this because we don't have all the facts we all the facts are not in um, but i i do want us to keep an eye on all this but a few things that i wanted to just point out as we're going through all of this just to have a, a discussion about what's happening here and not allow the media to drive the whole narrative. Imagine for just a moment here that with the whole Benghazi investigation that we remember during the Obama administration, imagine that a top D. Remember, there was no special counsel there. We allowed Congress to do those investigations and do its job. Imagine there had been a special counsel with unrestricted powers to look into everything about Benghazi. And it came out that a person at the top level of that investigation had sent text messages saying, we've got to end this Obama presidency. The Democrats would have completely freaked out and lost their minds. No question, right? I mean, we're being honest. There's just absolutely no way they wouldn't have. And quite honestly, they probably would have been right to, right? I mean, that's the thing. But acting like what we found out today is supposed to be no big deal because people can have opinions. Well, yeah, but it's it's all about the context. It's all about the circumstantial evidence, if you will. You got all these people with ties to Democrats, no ties to Republicans, all these people who have done things that are favorable to Hillary, Obama, and top people in, in Obama's administration. And there's been a series of actions at the very most senior levels of the DOJ that benefited Hillary, benefited Democrats, and hurt Trump. You put it all together and you've got quite a stinky stew. This is not good. Um, and, I mean, Andy McCarthy earlier today, when he saw that text from Peter Strzok, remember that the text was, I want to believe the path you threw out 
for consideration is in Andy's office that there's no way he, meaning Trump, gets elected. But I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. How could they stop Trump from being president or stop his presidency? What were they talking about? The only thing that anybody could honestly put forward and think about would be, oh, we're going to create this whole Russia collusion thing. That's it. I don't know what else it could be. And Andy McCarthy responding to this text earlier today wrote, this is not political banter, clearly indicates professional duties infected by political viewpoints, which is disqualifying. I was going on the published accounts I'd seen, which didn't include this one, should follow my own advice to wait for all the facts. Andy, when this stuff first came out, when the texts last night, Fox said they had like 10,000 text messages from the DOJ people involved here. And he was like, look, you're allowed to have opinions. You're allowed to say, you know, Trump is Trump is a jerk and still work at the FBI and work on sensitive political investigations. You're allowed to you're allowed to do that. But. Saying that you think that there's something we have to do to stop Trump from being president. And you're talking about very senior FBI people and you're involved in an investigation that theoretically could stop Trump from being president. I think we all know that we're in some pretty sketchy territory with that. Right. I think we all see why that's a problem. Um, I also would uh, quote my friend Jesse Kelly here from Twitter. He, he put out earlier today, if a single person at the FBI was attempting to take down Barack Obama's presidency, it would take a nuclear explosion for the media to talk about anything else for a month. Absolutely true. Absolutely irrefutably true. Any any honest observer of the world we live in would be like, yep, that, that is a fact. And then a few other things to add into this, or just one more thought before we go into break. And I, we will switch up. I want to talk to you about Roy Moore and and the where we go from here, right? We should we should think about that in GOP, where we go from here. But I think it's so interesting that today, and on this whole issue of the FBI and Mueller and all of this, uh, the questioning of a law enforcement body is all of us is all of a sudden unpatriotic and wrong and bad and and it's uh degrading our institutions the democrats will say i should just note that under the obama presidency the media the same media that says we shouldn't be questioning the fbi's impartiality on this specific issue remember i'm not questioning the fbi when it comes to all the other federal crimes that they're enforcing right that's not what this is about this is about this one issue but it's one that has tremendous importance the russia collusion investigation but usually the media is willing to question and even undermine and i would say defame law enforcement right police officers systematic racism hands up don't shoot all that but now you'll see cnn msnbc all these other places that the fbi is sacrosanct oh the fbi couldn't have couldn't be doing anything bad like that we think the fbi is the greatest just like the games they played when it came to Comey specifically. Oh, Comey's the most honorable public servant in America because he exonerated Hillary. Oh, but he reopened the investigation. Comey is the devil. He is six foot seven Lucifer. It was just all about politics for them. That's all it was. And that's all this really comes down to as well. But we'll see. Rosenstein doesn't want Mueller to, doesn't want Mueller to get fired. 
Mr. Mueller immediately concluded that Mr. Strzok could no longer participate in the investigation and he was removed from the team the same day. Did Mr. Mueller take appropriate action in this case? Yes, he did. Thank you. In testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, you said that you would only fire Special Counsel Mueller for good cause and that you had not seen any yet. Several months have passed since then. Have you seen good cause to fire Special Counsel Mueller? No. He says don't fire Mueller. I don't know if he's right, but doesn't look like he's going to get fired right now. So we will see. I think he's wrong, actually, but it's a gamble. Remember, if Mueller comes up with no charges against Trump or any of his top people, it's going to look mighty sketchy for the Democrats. But we'll see what happens. All right, we got to talk a little bit of Alabama race aftermath after last night. Roy Moore did not win. He has not conceded. What does this mean? What do we take away from the GOP? We'll get into that and... I don't know. I might just bring up Ariana Huffington so I can uh, I, I can have some fun here as well because she was on TV today. That's always entertaining. We'll be right back, team. Stay with me. Welcome back, team. Uh, Tyrone, a couple things. One, uh, what happened with Omarosa today? So the claim is that she was she resigned, but apparently there are numerous stories. Wait, but resigned from what? Like for folks who don't know, who is Amarosa? What's I actually don't know much about her. I okay. just know she was on The Apprentice. She was on season one of The Apprentice, and she didn't win, but she became tight with President Trump during that time, and she went back, I think, for like season seven and was on again, and then she was literally brought on to be in charge of black outreach for the president. Uh, that was okay. her official title. And she was supposed to help President Trump, who has had some trouble since he's been in office with the black community, bridge that gap and also help other Republicans in national races. And uh, yesterday. And then some stuff happened. Right? Yeah, yeah, well. And some things happened today. Today, they. I mean, people say that the Secret Service wasn't involved now, they're saying, but there are rumors that after she was fired, she tried to get back in the building. You know how they escort you out when it's over? She decided, according to rumors, that she was going to tell them when it was over. Ah. Yes. L- like she was on The Apprentice again <laughs> and was getting one last one last moment of, uh, of, or one last 15 minutes of fame, I suppose. Yes. That- now, some people think this also stems from, and this is true, of she recently was married and brought in all 37 people from her wedding party to take pictures in the White House, and that was frowned upon. Hmm. 37 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Now. The White House is not that big, by the way. People, I mean, I've spent some time in the White House, and uh, it's it's surprisingly, you know, in some like the Oval Office, I think people feel like is this cavernous. Yeah, it's just an office that's like a circle. It's not that big. <laughs> so, the, but going back to her original purpose of being hired, because of The Apprentice, and I can say this as a black person who knows a lot of black people, she was one of the least popular black people with black people in all of America before she took this position. Oh, I have no, no really? Why uh. was she hired in the first place? The reason being, on that season one of The Apprentice, there was down to the final two, and it was a very big show at the time for people to maybe not remember. Apprentice was the number one show in all of the world at the time. Everyone's watching. She backstabbed Kwame, the black finalist. I did not know any of she this. She backstabbed him, and, and black community turned on her Years ago. So the thought that she could even 
the gig to help with black outreach was a mistake. Oh, gosh. Okay. I, one, I didn't know that was her role in the White House. I knew she was on The Apprentice, and I was just seeing these stories today. And the way they were writing it, it made it sound like the Secret Service was like, Grabbing her legs while she was holding on to one of the, you know, one of the pillars of the White House and wouldn't let go. And it seems like that it may not have been Secret Service. It might have been a friend or somebody else, another staffer. But it does appear that she literally wanted to give whoever let her go a couple more words before she left. Hmm. But officially, she resigned effectively sometime next month, even though she's no longer allowed in the building. Okay. there's that. I, I, I should. It's a little, a little unusual. A, a few things here, Tyrone. As we get to the bottom of this mystery, I, I asked Tyrone. There was some. There's some scandal. Not. It's not even a scandal. But there's something going around right now about Anderson Cooper tweeting something about Trump. He didn't tweet it. Somebody else did. If, whether it was his assistant or somebody who found the tweet in the or found found the tweet, found the phone in the gym and tweeted it out or whatever. You know, it, it wasn't Cooper, so it doesn't really matter who else tweeted it. So what we can dispense with that one. But uh, on, on to the back to the Amorosa story here. Uh, unusual for a White House person to be escorted out, actually. That's not normal. Yeah, I, I heard yeah. that. And, and from all the stories that I read, it, what's weird is it's real journalists writing about it and then also saying, but trying not to fully say what they think. I noticed the way they're writing, they're holding back. Yeah. Because I think this is a peculiar... Something's going on. There's something, like I said about stinking fish on the table, something smells funky here. Yes, a little strange. Yeah, and given her given her past, which you've now told me more about, would not be surprised if she would out some histrionics. Look, hey, White House, a lot of things going on. Just wanted to, for those of you who like to follow those things and, uh, and what's going on in the world of, of palace intrigue at the White House, we had that story for you about Amorosa. All right, Doug Jones beat Roy Moore last night. Got some after-action analysis for you on that. We're also going to talk a bit of taxes. I know, get excited. Oh, hello. Let's get out our calculators and talk about tax rates. But we're going to do that. This is important. And then third hour, I'm going to talk to you about movies and Team Buck Speaks, and we're just going to rock out and have some fun. So, oh, and I'll tell you about burgers. Stay with me. Luther will definitely win. No? You know what I'm saying. Roy has a very good chance of not winning in the general election. It's all about the general. Don't forget, we don't stop here. There you had President Trump. Hey, all right, we're just keeping it real. President Trump, I know that he did the robocalls and support because he wanted the seat in the Senate, but that was back on September 22nd. And Trump was saying, strange, Luther Strange will win. Roy Moore, he might, he might lose. He might lose. And as we know, sure enough, Vote tallies came in uh, last night around 10 or 11 Eastern, forget exactly when, and Roy Moore lost. He lost by, what, about 20,000 votes? Is that right? What's the, um, how, what was the the final tally? It was like 600-something thousand to 600. 671,000 and change versus 650,000 650, and change. And how many write-ins? Uh, 22,819. Yup. Yup. So the write-ins were the difference, everybody. The write-ins were the difference. Now let's get into some of the uh, some of the after action here. Um, not not really. I don't think there's all that much to take from it. Um, I think that 
Uh, enough people and Alab- enough Alabamans were clearly uncomfortable with Roy Moore for a variety of reasons. I think most likely because of the allegations against him. Right. That's why you had a a Senate seat that I think 93 percent of voters went for Jeff Sessions in Alabama. Uh, I'll repeat that, everybody. Ninety three percent of voters went for Jeff Sessions the last time he he was up for election. And those are like the numbers that you expect in like uh, Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan in elections where they're like, yes, we have a great democracy, but uh, 99% always go for the same, you know? Um, you know, the, there are elections in some of those s- countries of the stands, but uh, Kazakhstan, you know, etc. But the, when you get to vote totals like 95, 98, 97%, I always want to know too, who's the 2% that didn't vote for the uh, the autocrat that is having the phony elections, right? I guess they figure it's like if you're going to cheat on an exam, you don't want to get a hundred if you're a C minus student. If if you manage to steal the exam the night before, you know the smart cheaters. And I do not advocate cheating on exams, everybody. But the smart cheaters get like a ninety five, you know, or like a night, you know. So it looks like you pulled it out at the last minute. Uh, not that you were um, copying every answer and had memorized it, right? So. That's that's the way they that's the way dictators do it, right? You got to get like ninety seven percent. Anyway, so yeah, that was what uh, uh, Sessions got ninety three percent plus, and Trump predicted that Roy Moore might lose. And look, let's be honest here. Here's where we are on this, right? The, the, here's the here's the good and the bad of it. Uh, the good and the bad of it is that one, you get well. Let's start with the fact that you got a Democrat who won. waiting all my life and now I just don't know what the hell to say. I am truly, truly overwhelmed. But you know, folks, and you have all heard me say this at one point or another in this campaign, I have always believed that the people of Alabama had more in common than to divide us. At the end of the day, this this entire race has been about dignity and respect. So that was Doug Jones. I like he won, giving us giving a speech, and uh, you know that's his that's his prerogative. Well, I, I should note that pr- President Trump tweeted out something very gracious about Doug Jones's victory, as well as Jones even said the following: "It was a very gracious call. I very much appreciated it. He uh, congratulated me on the race that we we won." Uh, he congratulated me and my staff on the way that we, and the manner in which we handled this campaign and went forward. Uh, and we talked about finding that common ground to, to work together. And he invited me uh, over to the White House to, to visit as soon as I get up there. So it was a, it's a very nice phone call, very pleasant phone call. And I appreciated him very much uh, reaching out to me. Hey, President Trump being presidential, as they like to say, right? It's, this is I don't think that Trump gets enough credit for when he does. Uh, things that the, well, the never Trump Republicans, as well as the Democrats and the Democrat media are always saying, oh, he doesn't do enough of this. So he made a nice phone call. He tweeted out something about good victory for Doug Jones and how there should be, you know, we need to have better Republican candidates. Okay. So as I was saying, on the bad side of things, you got a Democrat who won. And you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a registered Republican. I wonder now, by the way, you know, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of people in on the right media for a long time have been saying, you know, I'm a registered conservative. And I'm like, 
in the post Tea Party era, do we do we all still play that whole Republicans and conservatives are a different you know different thing? I don't know. I wonder how much of that has changed now. It's all oh, buckets so different. Yeah, go back, listen to some Reagan speeches. He'd be like, don't don't get caught up in that. Republican Party is about conservatism, or it's supposed to be at least. <laughs> it's supposed to be the ideology of Republican Party. Uh, anyway, back to uh, what it means now. And, and on a pardon me for a bit of a hard turn on a very serious note about Doug Jones. It's I mean, he's a, a pro-abortion zealot. I think you could even say extremist. Uh, all nine months of a pregnancy, Doug Jones totally in line with NARAL and uh, uh, what's the uh, Planned Parenthood and and any effort that the Senate may try may have tried to make in the next couple of years to do something about our just outrageous, inhumane and immoral uh, abortion laws in this country. That that's a big problem, the Doug Jones vote, because that's I, he is not going to bend on that. That is that's one of the biggest things that the Democrat left likes about Doug Jones. And that's a that's a real issue for those whether whether you like more as a candidate or not. And I know a lot of you do and a lot of you don't. But apart from that, it's a problem that Doug Jones is a vote for abortion and abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy. So that's a loss. That's a uh, that's a problem. And I don't know what else the I will will the the loss of this vote, which is why Trump wanted more to win. I mean, I I think we all saw that there would be. Some, and I'm going to get into this too. The, the the upside of all this is is a look at the downside of what would have it would have meant to have more in in office and and a representative of the Republican Party. And I will get there in a second. But the loss of one vote in the Senate may not mean very much. Or it could mean a whole heck of a lot. We just don't know. You will recall in the period of Obamacare's passage, as I have told you, the uh, railroading of Ted Stevens, the improper and unjust prosecution of Alaskan Senator Ted Stevens led to the loss of that Senate seat. And without the loss of that Senate seat to the Democrats, you would not have had Obamacare because remember they had 60 to get Obamacare through as as the weak need Republicans love to remind us now when they can't seem to replace and repeal Obamacare. Um, I had that backwards, but you know what I mean? So one vote can make a whole heck of a lot of difference in all this. And we will just have to see if this vote matters or not in that respect. And that's the so that's the biggest concern. That was Trump's biggest concern with it. And from a GOP perspective, I understand that that is a, a, a loss. And uh, and on the, on the issue of life, and that's a, you know, that's, I, I hope it doesn't come down to one vote whether or not they can, because they're not going to be able to do sweeping reform on, on uh, abortion and on pro-life issues under the Trump presidency. I, I don't see it happening, but anything that they could do that would limit it, it just saving lives. How many how many lives could they save? You know, whatever they could do to uh, curtail it would be in the right direction. It wouldn't be enough, but at least it would be better than what we have. But all right, now on the other side of it, and I think it is it is quite clear. And for for many of you, especially I know a lot of our Alabama listeners, you're like, well, you know, who cares? The media the media sucks, and they're a bunch of liars. And yeah, yeah. I, I agree, and I know. And you're like, fuck, you're in the media. Yeah, but I'm a conservative in the media, which is like being uh, 
being some being on some tiny little island uh, separated from the rest the the rest of the media. Uh, the the big issue would have been that whether you think that the allegations against Roy Moore were true or not, every single Republican and yes, every Republican commentator was going to be saddled with defending everything Roy Moore did and said for the foreseeable future, which that alone would be problematic because, you know, riding riding in on the horse may obviously didn't play that well in Alabama, may play well in Alabama, but in the rest of the country, it's going to get a lot of people said he didn't ride the horse very well. I will just note they're saying that he's not really a not really a horseman. Right. Yeah. Tyrone's give me the nod. Yeah. And apparently his wife is. Oh, well, that's nice. Um. I would just say, though, that the this was a reminder that in America today, if we, we have gone beyond someone calls someone else a racist and the person who is accused of it, if there's it, it is ruined, even without any underlying anything that, that there was a time when if people called you a racist publicly, you were in a whole lot of trouble. Now, it doesn't have quite the same. It's still. I mean, if there's any grounds for it, it's career ending, but it it doesn't have quite the same just you're done as soon as the accusation is made. Pedophilia, if someone calls you a pedophile publicly, uh, it is uh, it is a a stain on one's reputation that is impossible to get out. And the media was running with Roy Moore, accused accused pedophile, accused pedophile. That's all you were going to hear about Roy Moore as long as he was in office. And they were going to force one Republican after another to get up there on TV and defend Roy Moore when it came to those allegations or whatever. And here's the thing. In Alabama, the people of Alabama decided, and we now obviously respect uh, respect their judgment and the verdict. I know a lot of Alabamans voted for Roy Moore. Maybe it was because they wanted that Senate seat in GOP hands. Maybe it's because they thought it was all a lie against Moore. Maybe a combination of both. But at the national level, with the midterms at stake, especially in tight races, we saw 20,000 was the determining factor here in a statewide Senate race in Alabama. Uh, when, When you're dealing with that, Having to have Republicans go on. What would let me just put it this way. You know, if you had a tight Senate race in, I don't know, I'm just picking states at random. If you had a tight Senate race in uh, Maine, for example, you know, the Republican GOP senator would go on media outlets and I promise you there would be a question you know, so, you know, the Me Too movement and women are to be believed. And so, you know, you, senator or, or would be senator. Uh, what do you think of the fact that you have an accused pedophile in the GOP? And it doesn't matter. And this is on. This is the way the game is played. I'm just telling you, it, do, it wouldn't matter what the person said. All that matters is that they would run under that GOP senator. You know, oh, a question about accused pedophile, accused pedophile. They just would use it as a it would be a way to besmirch and stain all GOP candidates in the midterms. And no matter how true or untrue you think it is, when you've got elections that are being determined by 20,000 votes, you flash GOP and pedophile on the screen and Senate, and that may be all that it takes. So that's as much as it's disappointing to lose the seat, you're not dealing with the other side of it. I just want to tell you that. I'm just keeping it real. All right. We're going to come back to uh, talk about what it's not technically, I guess it is technically over, but it's kind of not technically over. Tyrone and I are going to chat about this on the other side. Stay with me. And I really want to thank you for coming tonight and realize when the vote is this close, 
that it's not over. And we've still got to go by the rules about this recount provision. And the Secretary of State has explained it to us. And we're expecting that the press will go up there and talk to them to find out what the situation is. But we also know that God is always in control. You know, part of the thing, part of the problem with this campaign is we've been painted in an unfavorable and un faithful light. That was Roy Moore last night making it sound like it's not all over. Tyrone, what's the deal here? It's it's over. Okay. For for, for numerous reasons. Um, one, the recount that he talked about by the rules only occurs if the election is within half of 1%. Even then, he would most likely lose because the attorney general for Alabama, who admitted that he voted for Roy Moore, so he was not in any way biased against him, said the last time, seven years ago, almost to the day, they did a, they had a special election for governor. They ran through and they did a recount. And out of all the statewide votes, which was as many as this, three votes got changed. Three. Alabama has their voter ID thing tight. There's no There's no calls for corruption or any fake voting or anything like that. It's just over. And even with if every single of the absentee and overseas and military ballots came in for Roy Moore, remember, Alabama's not the biggest state in the union. It's not California. It's not Texas. He still wouldn't be within that 0.5%. It's just over. All right, everybody. So there you have it. It sounds like even though Roy Moore has not yet conceded uh he has not right he has not yet called over to say that it's it's all done no it it is in fact all done i should have did you see this by the way that they're not oh something else you wanted yes also there was a slither of hope left open by the state attorney general yesterday saying that if roy moore's campaign was to pay for a recount he could get it the actual state statute says that's actually not even true there is no call for a recount with a margin this wide even if roy moore was to come with a satchel of a billion dollars there will be no recount. All right, everybody. There you have it. There's not going to be a recount. Now, a couple other things I want to throw into the mix here before we talk talk taxes. In just a few minutes here, we'll have Sarah Westwood joining from D.C. Tell us, whether is the Congress actually going to do something? Oh, my gosh. Crazy. I know. Are they actually going to get something? What would you say you do here, Congress? They'll be like, tax reform. <laughs> okay. It's not exactly... Uh, the speech from St. Crispin's Day and Henry V, but, you know, tax reform. All right. Um, wanted to note, that, Tyra, I don't know if you saw a couple things I want to throw in here. First of all, uh, the report, Manu Raju, who's a reporter at CNN, just shared as we're on air that Franken has told, Al Franken, Senator, told him, no final decision yet on timing of his resignation from Senate. We don't yet know the timing. We don't have an exact date. That's what Franken's saying. Uh I'm still very convinced he's going to go, but I know there's some people who are like, maybe he doesn't go. I think they've named his replacement. They're moving on without him. Either he'll go willingly or by force. He's going. Yeah, he's got to go. He, he this, was all part of the, this was all part of the plan was to have Franken be, Franken was their moment of, see, we'll clean house. And then, I look, you could argue, I mean, no one can prove or disprove this, but you could certainly make an argument that for, remember, we're talking about 20,000 voters that made the difference in Alabama. That's the size of, like, you know, Madison Square Garden here in New York City. It's not that big. Uh, you could maybe argue that 
they decide, you know, they some of those folks said, you know what, I can't, I can't pull the lever for more, especially because Franken stepped down, and I don't want to feel hypocritical about it. Now I don't know. I'm not basing this on anything other than just the possibility, but Democrats certainly are capitalizing on that a lot. And one more thing to follow up with uh, my chat with Tyrone from before: Secret Service has officially tweeted out that Omarosa was not physically removed by the Secret Service from the White House grounds, but there is still a report out there that I have not yet seen debunked that she may have had some words with General Kelly. Oh, man. <laughs> Omarosa, <laughs> just just leave. Know, right? Just, Omarosa, come on. I mean, she's going to be on the, uh, on the like, the $75,000 speaking circuit, and she's going to be just fine. But I could see that G- General Kelly... If there was somebody who was going to tell her that uh, it's time to go and that's the way it's going to be, I would assume it would probably be General Kelly. He's the only person in the White House that I think, other than Ivanka and Jared, has no concern over his role, his future, or anyone telling him really what to do with the exception of the president. I think he's the only one who it's Kelly's way or the highway. Um, all right, we're, we're going to talk taxes in just a moment here with uh, Sarah Westwood of Washington Examiner. Is the tax bill going to get through? A little bit of additional urgency here because they got one less Senate seat if they don't get it through by the end of the year. So we shall see. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Stay for the political analysis or come for the political God, I can't even speak. I'm on radio. Come for the political analysis. Stay for Buck's special tricks to make the perfect burger without a barbecue. That's at the end of the show. Get excited. Incredible members of the House and Senate who have been working so hard. We're very, very close to a historic legislative victory, uh, the likes of which rarely has this country seen. I think I can say, Kevin and uh, Oren, that we're getting very close. And I know a lot of the folks that uh, we'd like to have here, we said, if you have your choice, stay back and get it done, right? They're all working and negotiating some final points, but we're very, very close. President Trump held a very effective uh, press conference today in which he was making his last-ditch pitch for tax cuts to get through before Christmas. He had some folks who came up to the podium and talked about their own experience with this. But what is really happening now in D.C.? Can they get to the corporate rate cut of 21% and a top individual rate of 37% before we all decide to... uh, Go hang out over the holidays, and Congress is no longer in session. We got Sarah Westwood to lend some D.C. inside the Beltway insight to us now. She is the White House correspondent for the Washington Examiner. Sarah, lovely to have you back. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so what's going on here? We heard Trump talking about it. People are saying it's going to happen. And now that they've lost a Senate seat, looks like it better happen. What can you tell us? Right. Well, before last night, Republicans were facing a symbolic deadline of getting this done before Christmas. It was something they imposed on themselves, but President Trump had taken to calling tax reform a Christmas present for the American people. And so if they failed to hit that self-imposed deadline, it was going to be a symbolic failure, even if down the line they did get tax reform. But now they're up against a very real procedural deadline. The fact that Doug Jones is expected to be seated in early January means Republicans probably won't have the votes to get this passed. They might if Doug Jones is in the Senate, but it makes it that much trickier 
for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. So it's why I think you'll see them really try to stick to this deadline that they imposed on themselves and, and pass it by early next can, week. Can you just tell us a bit about, for, for everybody listening, I, people care because this is going to matter to their bottom line, everyone listening, their bottom line for their business or even maybe their individual rate and, and how they're going to be filing taxes in years to come. But what has to happen here from a procedural perspective? It seems like reporting today was the House says yes, the Senate says yes, they've passed it, it's in conference, Trump is like, woohoo, so what has to happen? <laughs> well, uh, the, the conference set Monday is a day to, to vote this bill out of conference. It then has to clear another vote, one in the House, and then a vote in the Senate if they can agree on the one consensus version of the bill that emerged out of conference, then uh, it will go to President Trump's desk and presumably he'll sign it. So the real last hurdle, because there, we haven't heard a lot about much resistance within the House, so the last hurdle will really be getting this bill out of the Senate. And I think it's why you saw the bill end up looking more like the version that came out of the Senate than the version that came out of the House, because the numbers were always trickier and Paul Ryan had a little more uh, of a cushion to play around with. We're speaking to Sarah Westwood, who's the White House correspondent for the Washington Examiner. Sarah, uh, are there any last-minute snags that some people are worried might mess this whole thing up for Republicans? Well, there is some fear that some of the Senate Republicans who just barely got on board uh to vote for the Senate version and send this thing to conference might rethink support for the bill, particularly as more and more polling comes out that shows it's not necessarily the most popular poll. Although if you talk to White House officials, they dispute the methodology in the polls that reveal low support for the tax reform bill. But either way, uh, there's always a chance that some of the more moderate Republican senators, like Susan Collins, even Bob Corker, who didn't vote for the version of the tax reform bill the first time around will withhold their support. Remember, if three Republican senators do that, then it'll sink the bill. And so uh, Mitch McConnell still has to keep this caucus together in order to get the bill passed. And that there's no guarantee that every Republican will be satisfied with the product that comes out of conference. And whatever happened with state and local taxes, because that was initially a, a big concern for at least some Republicans in this. And and my Ty- Tyrone here in the HUD who lives in New Jersey is raising his hands as a, as a homeowner. He's like, this is going to be a problem for me. Hey, I, I wish I was a homeowner in Manhattan. I'd be lighting my cigars with $100 bills. Anyway, uh, but whatever happened to state and local taxes? Well, this was a pain point for a lot of Republicans. You're right, in states, high-tax states, uh, where their constituents would be hit hardest. But the fact of the matter is that Republicans couldn't make the math work without keeping state and local t- uh, tax deductions in the bill. That's because in order to pass this using the procedure known as reconciliation, meaning you can pass it with a simple majority rather than having to hit that 60-vote threshold, this bill couldn't cost more than $1.5 trillion dollars. And without eliminating those uh, state and local tax deductions, you couldn't afford the cuts to revenue that you're making in other areas. So this was probably the biggest 
pay for in the entire bill. And it's one of the reasons why, even though it's controversial and even though there are a lot of lawmakers who hate this provision, you haven't seen a whole lot of talk, serious talk about removing it because it would throw off uh, the entire operation. In Trump's speech today about taxes, he said some things about being able to do it on one piece of paper. He said he also made some statements about the IRS. Was that just Trump? Selling big ideas about taxes or those, you know, the, the thing about the IRS and the one page uh, individual returns. Is that a part of this? Well, it's interesting because it tells the viewer sitting at home, this is when you can expect to start feeling benefits of these tax cuts. Because we talk about it in the abstract. We don't know how long they will they will take to take effect. Some of them might have a delayed start provisions that the IRS is certifying that within eight weeks or so of the bill passing, Americans will start to feel the benefits of these tax cuts. That may give lawmakers an extra incentive to pass this because they know that Americans, by the time uh, the next election cycle rolls around in November, will have had seven months of these lowered tax rates to contend with to give the economy time to start the growth period the White House promises we'll get. So that just gives a sort of tangible benefit that dangles over lawmakers as they finally head into the, the final stages of this. I mean, before we let you go, Sarah, what are what are you hearing from uh, folks on the Hill in D.C. in general, just, uh, just to give us the atmospherics of the post-Roy Moore uh, election vibe in, in D.C.? I, I have some guesses, but I wanted to hear it from you. You know what? I've actually been surprised at the amount of relief I've heard expressed from conservative Republicans, centrist Republicans, uh, even some folks closely allied with the White House, because everyone sort of acknowledges that Roy Moore would have just been an ongoing disaster for Republicans that would have lasted for years. Every time he opened his mouth, he seemed to create some wonderful new controversy that lawmakers know they would have had to answer for on a daily basis. And even though it's rough for Republicans to lose uh, that one vote in the Senate that Luther Strange provided them. I don't think that any of them felt it was worth it to just keep their already slim majority, uh, but have to deal with someone as radioactive as Roy Moore. Now they don't have to contend with what committees to put him on, the problem of maybe do you co-sponsor legislation with someone that's been accused of child predation. So now they don't have to deal with any of those problems. They disappeared with Doug Jones's victory. And uh, and I think a lot of Republicans are breathing a sigh of relief. Roy Moore loses. The people of Alabama have spoken, so we can leave it all there. Um, Sarah Westwood, everybody, does great work. Check out her latest, WashingtonExaminer.com. Sarah, thank you so much. And if we don't get a chance to talk to you again, uh, Merry Christmas and a happy holidays. Oh, you too. Thanks very much. Our team, we're going to roll into a break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about some fascinating stuff that I'm going to figure out in the break because I have so much to talk to you about today that I'm not even sure what's going to make it to the uh, what's going to make it on air versus the cutting room floor. So it'll be a surprise. Stay with me.
And you have no time for yoga or the vegan meal or anything. Ariana Huffington. It's amazing that that woman uh, founded one of the biggest left-wing websites around, really. I mean, it's kind of, people have realized that it was a castle built on sand or, you know, it was the, 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 really, they were putting a lot of money into the Huffington Post, now called HuffPost. To make it seem like it was this bigger deal than it was, and I'm pretty sure it hasn't made a profit in at all in recent years. Um, but I was thinking, like, she just whatever the subject is, she could go on TV, and all of a sudden, and if you go back, you'll see. First of all, at one point, she was a Republican, but if you go back and you see, you know, like cycle back ten years, like you know, new astrophysicists really don't have to understand that the, the outer boundary of the Virgo supercluster is hard to see with the Hubble telescope. You're like, wait, what? What is, you know? And then, like, fast forward two years, she's like, really, Fed rate needs to drop because Bernanke, I love his beard, but he's not understanding that the long-term interest rate, like, it doesn't matter <laughs> doesn't matter what the subject is. Ariana Huffington will be on TV, and they're like, oh, tell us more, Ariana. She's like, yes, you know, like, if you really want to learn how to dunk, I suggest you work on calf strength and small twitch muscle fiber. And <laughs> like, it's, if you, you test out my thesis, I'm telling you, Ariana Huffington, you go back and see her, and she'll be like, you know, weighing in on, on any number of things, you know? It's really... That's uh, really pretty incredible. So um, uh, anyway, that's that's what I just <laughs> I just find her I just find her very amusing. I can't really get much more beyond it than that. I think John is actually optimized for hyper growth. Hyper uh, without not of the person, but of the company of the company of like the company. The realization that we've had this year that when everything is sacrificed. Uh, at the altar of hyper growth, in the end, business suffers because uh, because if you uh, yes, hyper growth, humanity, health, engagement, and and also the sort of fulfillment of your employees. The work life balance. Okay, so let me. So she's uh, she's got to reinvent the work life balance. is sacrifice for the hyper growth, and the company tried to grow with the profit of the money. <laughs> it's like she's now a. I should know that she was, for years, the left, she would be lecturing people on politics. You know, she'd go on the Bill Maher show, and she's like, you know, the Iraq war, really, the counterinsurgency strategy needs to be adjusted for a greater understanding of the door kicker versus intel collector, and she just, whatever it was, man, she was out there, but but now she's like a work-life balance uh, guru, and that's what she that's what she talks about, and she writes books about it, and... Uh, I just, I, I, she's, a, she's an amazing story, you know, switches her political affiliation, is the founder of this website and, and is also now work-life balance person. But if you go back, if you're curious, you can actually read stories about what it was like to work for Ariana. And I know some people who, who did and wouldn't want to come forth publicly and talk about it. Uh, but the term, uh, tyrant was definitely used, uh, diva. Definitely used. So there was a lot of that too. Um, I I just think that it's funny that now she's the one going. Now that her company was bought by what it was initially bought by AOL, and then AOL was bought by somebody else, whatever it was. Uh, and I'm sure she's made untold millions from that. She's going around telling everybody to do more yoga 
and more stretching. You need to make sure you're getting all the macros at the meals and the yoga and the social medias too much. I do agree. And this is actually what made me think about this initially. I do agree with Ariana that uh, <laughs> I agree that Rebecca agrees. No, this is crazy uh, that we, we the whole social media phenomenon is much more um, is much more impactful on our day-to-day lives. People always say impactful is not a word, but people pretend like it is, so I'll use it too. Um, right? I mean, it's technically not a word, guys, right? But I mean, like everyone uses it, right? It's also like people say that optics, you shouldn't say the optics of something because technically optics are actually like something you'd put in the sights of a rifle, but people use it that way. Uh, anyway, social media activity is is taking up so much bandwidth, literally and figuratively, in our, in our day-to-day lives. For a lot of you, I know you're like, Buck, I'm not even on. Like, I don't use Twitter and I don't. But for businesses now, and this is something about, this is somewhat what she was uh, touching upon there. For businesses as well, there is this uh, tremendous push to get involved in Facebook and to do much more on Twitter and that just means also that more of our consumption will be coming that way. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, there, there is a company that on my Instagram it keeps popping up, and I'm and I don't need any. I've got plenty of sweatpants. You ask Miss Molly, she'll be like, "Buck owns enough sweats," which you know. And she she told me that I can't actually. And I'm like, they're sweats. Like I could go running in them, but she's like, you you shouldn't be leaving the house and going to work in sweats. And I'm like, I don't really understand why that's not. You know, it's comfortable, but. Anyway, but there's a company that makes really comfy looking sweats and it keeps popping up on my feed and I'm like, it's like they know me. And I guess they do because they collect all this information about you. But I, I may I may be one of those people that just, I've never even heard of these guys before, but it looks like those sweatpants are super comfy and I may just have to click and buy them. Uh, and this is now the way it's going to, this is how you're going to be consuming your information, your news, how you're connected with your friends and family and talking to people and also your consumer habits i went in uh, in my uh my building this morning in the mail room where i live here in new york because you know we don't live in house if you live in a house in new york it's like oh let me shine my monocle now i mean like there's no houses in manhattan really that you live in there are some but the uh price tag is pretty insane but we're down in the mail room and it looked like an advertisement for amazon i mean it was just because, of course, coming uh, up with the Christmas season and, you know, forget about Amazon, Nine Line, Crate Club, the wonderful sponsors of this show. That's what you should be doing. But it, it looked like an advertiser for Amazon because this is how everyone's doing so much of their shopping now. And it was I, I'm not exaggerating. There were boxes from Amazon in the middle of them stacked shoulder high in anticipation of the, the Christmas season. And, and this is just it's all being run through these different social media interfaces. And I just, I tell you things like it's important. And, you know, Miss Molly has to hold me to it because occasionally I will be spending a little too much attention time on my phone. But you really need to draw these boundaries for yourselves. And I will say it as much as I just also like to bring Ariana into the show as a kind of character. Um, I I think she's right about the, the work-life balance concerns specifically when it comes to Technology, social media, computers, all the stuff that we're doing all the time. You know, I will tell you this, you know, and maybe even like write to me and tell me what you think about it. For those of you that think you're maybe a little too tech connected, leave your smartphone at home and go for like a, a long, like an hour or two long walk or go do something for an hour or two without it. 
and see if you can really do that without thinking, oh gosh, like, you know, is work looking for me or, you know, are my friends looking for me or, and be honest with yourself about it. And you'll start to see that we are, you know, it's like we're all a bunch of gerbils in some kind of science experiment and don't really realize what's going on with some of this social media stuff and how it's affecting us and our habits. And I'm just saying, just putting it out there. Now listen to Buck, because he knows things. He's a very smart boy, and he does a fantastic radio show. It's amazing. Gary, the president-elect's life is in danger. Under no circumstances, allow her motorcade to leave the hotel. More than 200 individuals are detained in the investigation surrounding the attack on President Keene nine days before her inauguration. The last time they tried to overthrow the government was never. We execute people for that in this country, Mr. McClendon. I'm bringing you a federal agent to testify against the government about some of the most expansive civil rights abuses in the history of our nation. Full disclosure, the president doesn't know I'm here. Surprise? I'm in a federal prison. What do you think? Nobody grows up dreaming of taking down criminals inside their own government. All right, you get the idea, everybody. That's the trailer for Homeland. Buck Sexton back with you now. That's some of the trailer for Homeland Season 7. I do not watch Homeland, although I'm often asked about it because uh, Claire Danes plays a CIA analyst, and and I can put some questions to rest right now. Uh, No, it is is not that cool (laughs) to be a CIA analyst. And and also, uh, if, if they had ever found me with my walls papered with classified documents, not only would I never have let uh, been let back inside Langley, I saw season one of Homeland, I can tell you that, and then I, st- I watched some of season two, and I'm like, I'm out. I-, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. It's ridiculous. They got a guy who's in, like, the Situation Room texting a Hezbollah terrorist. Or, I know, spoilers, spoilers. That was years ago. Uh, texting a Hezbollah terrorist, a terrorist who manages to duck out of the line of fire just in time. Like, wow, that's great cell service he's got. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I just thought I couldn't really take it anymore, and and so I stopped watching it. But you know, one of my, so Homeland season seven. Why am I telling you about this? Because this is another one of these times where you get to see Showtime, HBO. They do some great stuff. I like Game of Thrones very much, and I'm not going to say that they aren't artistically uh, very talented enterprises with the shows they put on. They are, but of course, their politics are so left wing. And it comes across in all the stuff you see. It comes across the fact that, you know, Bill Maher gets a show. John Oliver has a show. And it's like, can you maybe put somebody who doesn't just tout the pro-Hillary, pro-Obama party line on every single issue? No, they won't, right? A long time ago, they had Dennis Miller on, which actually, I thought he had a good show. I I like Dennis Miller. Side note. Uh, But so Homeland Season 7 you could, you you knew this was going to happen, right? Homeland season seven is about a rogue presidency. You heard their civil rights abuses, and the president elect, who is female, is somehow stopped from becoming president. And the actual, you know, the the guy who becomes president is is a you know, it's like a, a coup, and and it's a rogue presidency. That's what it's all about. Oh, what a surprise that in the era of Trump, a show that will air either the end of next year or in 2018, is going to be about a rogue presidency. You know, I, I have thoughts on on two levels about this. One of them is that this is not just art. This is also influencing culture. And when you make these kinds of shows and people will associate uh, 
Trump with this rogue presidency that stopped the duly elected female president from becoming president and that's engaged in civil rights abuses on an unprecedented scale. People are going to associate that with Trump, of course, Uh, just as they were supposed to associate. uh, I I forget the actress's name, but uh, Atea Leone, I think, who was playing Madame Secretary with Hillary Clinton. So they have this, you know, this stunningly beautiful, charming woman who is supposed to be associated with, you know, as Secretary of State with the then Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. Uh, this is Hollywood propaganda, right? That's what's going on here. And look, they're allowed to do it. It's fine. But I just have to laugh that here we are, Trump presidency, it's the end of year one. And the focus in all the threats we face, North Korea, a resurgent, aggressive Russia, all the different jihadist entities out there, are, are an increasingly powerful and bellicose China, all, all the stuff that we have in the world of international espionage. Oh, the problem is the president. Right? That's Oh, yeah, the real threat that they have to deal with at Homeland is the presidency. And I know that this was, you know, if, if I could have like some HuffPost Vox slate writers join me here in the room, which they would never do. But they'd say, oh, come on, you're just it's about art and it's a show and you're taking it too seriously. These television has a as a profound effect on the mindset of the American electorate, including fiction, I should know. Right. Including uh, scripted shows, especially when they so closely mirror real life. So there's the political side of it that I just have to laugh. Rogue presidency. I mean, I haven't seen the uh, the new season, but they might as well just have a president with like a big mop of blonde hair combed to the side who's like eating cheeseburgers and, and having all of the. You know, illegal immigrants thrown into detention camps at the same time while he like laughs and drinks Diet Cokes. I mean, it's just so clear what the messaging here is supposed to be. But uh, I have to laugh. And then the other side of it is just I get so sick of all these shows about the CIA. And you know, not, not that I'm, not, you know, like the CIA, I've, I've been out for a long time and, you know, all that. But so I'm not sitting here trying to carry water for the agency. But is he? I mean, I think he is, actually. I mean, I think we know. We're on to you, Sexton. But I'm just trying to say that, you know, there's a lot of bad guys, bad people out there in the world that the CIA is working against, fighting against. You know, why can't we have more of the James Bond model? You know, James Bond is MI6. He's a Brit. And he's fighting bad guys. Yeah, he has to overcome bureaucracy, but there are, you know, he's, you know, Odd job and, you know, uh, the guy with the metal jaw and, I mean, all the different bad guys over the years, right? When it comes to CIA shows, you look at the Bourne Identity, you look at any any number of them, and there's so many that it's like the real bad guys are inside the CIA. And I just kind of feel like at some point, you know, there's a lot of dragons out there to slay that aren't just rogue people inside of of Langley. I'm talking about storylines now, but stories matter. Stories are powerful. They change the way we think about things. Uh, that that was always my problem with the born identity. I'm like, so the only bad guys are 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 inside Langley or work for Langley. There's no other bad guys that they have to deal with really in that show. There's like a couple of Russians that are trying to line their pockets with some cash. But I mean, it's Russia. Very cold in winter. You want to you know, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, anyway, that's I just had to lie. Here we are. Homeland. No surprise. The rogue presidency is the next storyline. Um, I will not go and watch it. The other thing is I, I can't watch these shows because as much as I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for you know, I really like comic book movies. Tyrone, best comic book movie of all time is what? 
He's on the spot right now. Let's see what he gets. The first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Wow. Okay. Okay. I probably go the first Iron Man movie, actually. Um, but I, I, res- I respect the, the Spider-Man franchise as well. Anyway, I, I like I like those kinds of movies. I've always felt like the X-Men movies underperformed for me because I love the X-Men growing up, and I just felt like they never really got it right. There's a little too much CGI, not enough storyline. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, that's the problem with um, that's the problem with the next season of Homeland is that it's going to be all about the bad guys in not just forget about the bad guys in Langley, the bad guys who are running the country. Who I'm guessing the name is going to rhyme with you know Trump, and all of a sudden we're going to find out that, you know he, that the, the president's beautiful daughter is in on the scheme and she's trying to prevent and the president has a son-in-law who's like waterboarding people himself in the back room. I mean, you can just see it all. You can just see it all happening. That's the way it's going to play out. So. Oh my, you know, they should just let me write some some cool spy stuff, but very hard to get fiction published and even harder to get it made into a movie or a TV show. Um well team, the Me Too movement continues on. More allegations, more accusations, people getting fired, people losing their jobs, people's reputations in tatters for in many cases wildly egregious sexual misconduct. But are we now at the point that even more minor transgressions are being punished? Are we starting to see that the snowball effect of the Me Too sexual harassment, sexual misconduct purge has gotten to be too powerful and is now being abused? We've got Inez Felcher-Stepman on the line. She's a senior contributor at The Federalist, and she wrote a piece here. Uh, a few weeks back, and we're going to talk to her about her uh, her thesis and how she you know continue to talk about it today, given the more recent allegations. But she wrote, "Ladies, you haven't been raped if someone catcalled at you." Inez, great to have you. Thanks for having me, Buck. So you clearly were worried about this a while ago with the Me Too move, and I saw some of this as well. There were some early or earlier in, in this whole movement. There were some people saying. Oh, I you know I heard a crass comment ten years ago from this guy, or and and it started to feel a little like are are we really going you know let let's not lump together a serial psycho predator Harvey Weinstein with somebody that like told a a knock knock joke that you know was a bit scatological or something right I mean you know it seemed like there was that was going on how has this played out since you wrote that piece in October do you think that it's still within the bounds of only people are being called out for bad conduct? Or you think that we've started to see this either get political or hypersensitive? Well, I think it's it's getting both, actually. It's getting, you have this sort of tit-for-tat political thing where there's X number of Republicans who have been accused and X number of Democrats, and, and we try to um, seize the, the moral high ground depending on um, <laughs> what the tally is that week. Um, look, there's no doubt that there have been a lot of men in power abusing that power, and, and a lot of these guys really do deserve to go down. What concerns, what, what really concerns me is the conflation of all kinds of different behavior in the same pot. So um, one of my bottom five senators, which is hard to get, right, Al, um, Al Franken, there's lots of competition for that bottom five. But what he did is not really the same type of thing that, say, Harvey Weinstein did. It's inappropriate. It's boorish. Um, 
and and it's extremely rude, and I would never encourage anyone to behave the way he did. I think he ought to be ashamed of himself. Um, but to put that in the same category with some of the stories we've been hearing um, about, you know, whether that's Harvey Weinstein or, or Matt Lauer even, I think those stories were somewhere in between the two. I think there's, there's value in drawing these distinctions because it, it really makes it harder for the victims who come out of the most egregious behavior when we just lump it all in one in one kind of category. Yeah, I've been saying this for a while. It seems not that I'm I think Al Franken's a jerk and, and I, I could there's a lot of bad things that I'd say about Al Franken. But I do think it's a little unfair to put Al Franken on a, on a list. And I've seen lists like this with Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. I mean, and I think the criminal justice system, by the way, would agree with me that it's a little unfair to put them on the on the same list. Um, and and I, I just wonder at what point will we get more specific with this or will we be more careful as a as a country, as a society that's talking about it? Because I'm just waiting for the first big case of uh, this person needs to be fired. And I'm like, wait, but that's not even they didn't even really do anything. You know, e- even if they did it, they didn't really do anything. I think we're going to get there. Um, I, I think these situations often, the further down this chain of egregious behavior you go, the more ambiguous the situations come. Um, and and um, we are now in this moment, this cultural moment, which has some upsides of definitely sort of nabbing some people who have been abusing their power for a long time and bringing them down. But I think it has some downsides uh, in that this is a perfect moment for uh, a woman who... Uh, you know, has a grudge against an ex-boyfriend or um, experienced something that made her feel subjectively uncomfortable but wasn't really egregious behavior on the part of a man, um, to come forward now when those stories are still not being rigorously questioned and, and men are sort of getting fired before the full investigation even comes in sometimes, sometimes rightly and sometimes wrongly. Um, I, I, this, this whole, I think, moment is breeding a lot of mistrust between men and women and is causing good men who do not want, you know, never in their lives intended to harass or, or abuse a woman um, is making them afraid to interact with women in the workplace or flirt with women or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and I think that's a shame. We're speaking to Inez Felcher-Stepman. She's a senior contributor at The Federalist. Uh, Inez, I also want to ask, you know, are, are we ever, do you think there'll ever be a moment where women will also want to have a, a public exploration of a phenomenon that definitely exists in the news media, and that is that some women advance their careers through flirtation as well as perhaps romance with the boss. And I, I know of one or two cases that are already very prominent where the story has been so-and-so was harassed and, and treated poorly but there's a pre there's a precursor to that story, which was so and so also was getting jobs that she probably wouldn't have, uh, and this is using inside sources that I know of wouldn't have were it not for the boss's favoritism. And now so and so is a martyr and a hero for all women. And I kind of sit here and I'm like, well, you know, there are women that probably would have gotten some jobs there who didn't because when it was working for. Uh, lady in question here, she was happy to be the beneficiary. Yeah, I mean, I think what we really have um, is is a culture around sex and flirtation and, and um, you know, relationships between men and women 
that protects predators of both sexes. And I don't know if you call the women predators so much as the male side of us is sort of predatory and the women's side is, is exploitative, right? Um, but both definitely exist. And, and or o- opportunistic, culture, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think our culture right now is sort of, we've, we've taken all the guide rails off of male and female interaction. There are virtually no taboos anymore um, around sex and around, um, you know, the relationships that men and women can have from the casual to the, the long term. Um, and, and I just, I think it's very revealing that Mike Pence was mocked so harshly for having this role that he doesn't dine alone with other women and mine, um, other than his wife. To me, it all comes from the same place. It all comes from a place of a lot of confusion, um, about what is appropriate behavior between men and women and what isn't, what is sexual and what isn't, what's, you know, acceptable, what's an acceptable way to, to show interest in a woman and what isn't. And I think taking a lot of those guide rails off or those guardrails off um, have really not only confused the vast majority of good men and women, uh, but have also given that ambiguous cover to people who really want to take advantage of either their sexuality or to take advantage of their power to um, use their sexuality to, to harass See, I mean, I, I try to come at this from a from a bunch of different or from from different angles and perspectives in this because, yeah, there's this sense right now that all the that a lot of very bad people have had their uh, have had the public shaming and the comeuppance that they deserve. But I'm not sure that we have much in the way of a of a takeaway from this whole movement other than, you know, don't be scummy. Uh, you know, don't don't be a predator. Don't be a harasser. Right. I mean, there, I, don't, I don't see what the. The different. It's not that the rules are different. It's just that we found out that a lot of people were breaking them. Is at least that's how I'm seeing it. Um, I don't think it's quite that clear. I think it's clear in a few of these cases that are in the media. Uh, but I think the general moment, the Me Too moment, is making a lot of men question what I would call ultimately either harmless or ambiguous behavior. I mean, we had one of the famous ones that kind of bounced around Twitter was this. Um, girl who was really upset that a TSA agent had asked for her number while, like, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and and stuff like that makes it really difficult for guys to figure out what's okay and what isn't. And to add to that, the same exact behavior from different guys might be interpreted differently by the exact same woman. I, and that's something that I think very few people want to admit. But the exact same behavior. Um, or flirtation from a guy that a woman happens to be interested in is going to be perceived as, you know, positive, um, and she'll be happy to receive that attention. But if some other guy that she's not interested in does the exact same thing or says the exact same words to her, um, it'll be perceived as as intimidating or harassment. Um, So much of this is ambiguous and contextual that I, 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 I can see as a guy why it would start to get a little bit scary. Yeah, and people are going to be very careful at their Christmas and holiday parties this year, I think. That's for sure. A lot of them are going to be drinking, uh, you know, soda pop. (laughs) Anyway, and that's it. Inez, great to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Inez Felcher-Stepman, everybody. Read her latest at The Federalist, where she is a contributor. Thanks, Inez. And happy holidays. Team, rolling into a break. We'll be right back. The struggle against dad bod before one is a dad. That's what I'm into today i went to the gym did some circuit training i don't know how, i don't know how people do it you know after a while i i start to feel like you know i just wish that sweatpants would be considered not just acceptable work attire but you know stylish 
And whenever I try to wear my New Balance sneakers, which I think are perfectly acceptable, uh, Miss Molly tells me to put some shoes on because we're going outside and I'm not on a running track. Uh, but yes, I'm I'm trying to fight the uh, the holiday uh, belly bulge, uh, and I think I'm losing right now. But I will say on the happy front of well, this is not really connected, but just speaking about bellies and happy bellies. So I have finally, I think, managed to figure out how to make a phenomenal burger not on a grill. I know a lot of you are going to tell me, hold on a second, Buck. There's no way you can make a burger on the stove top or using a stove that is anywhere near as good as barbecue grill. And I would say to you, you're correct. It's always going to be better when you actually have an outdoor grill you can barbecue it on. It gets all that smoke and flavor. But as it is frigid here in New York City, it was so cold today. I was walking around and my eyes were tearing up and my nose was running and I was just feeling very sorry for myself having to walk around and run some errands today. Uh, I'm not about to set up a, well, I, I don't have a place to set up a barbecue, but nonetheless, it wouldn't be good to be outside with it. So here's what I did. I want to just share this with you because I like to bring information to the show. First of all, I have found that with the burger, yeah, the marinade is important, but really if you just have a good salt pepper mix and some basic spices, and they even make some good pre-packaged meat spices. I think with good meat, I don't like to go too heavy on the different uh, on the different sauces. I, I really like the meat to speak for itself in a sense. But you give the spicing and then you have... I didn't think this was a big deal before, but it really is. You absolutely have to let the meat come down uh, in temperature because if you pull it right out of the fridge... I mean, I know if you're thawing it out of the freezer, you already know that. But I used to be somebody who was like, pull it out of the fridge, throw it on the pan. You know, the pan's hot, it'll get warm, and everything will be fine. But that creates a really uneven burger, all right? And this is important, important to me, important to you. I mean, the president himself eats burgers all the time, although he eats them well done, and I think he mostly gets them from fast food joints, which is cool. I, 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 ain't, I ain't hating on the, uh, on the fast food situation. I, I just, the Diet Coke's 12 a day, that's not my jam. But you know what? That's... That's okay. Um, anyway, back to the burgers. Uh, somebody asked me today, actually, what's your, what is your soda? If you had to pick a soda that was your weakness, definitely ginger ale for me. Um, I, that, that's my treat when I'm on a plane. I allow myself to have a little ginger ale, which soda is terrible for you, but that's a whole other discussion. So the burger, the perfect burger at home, you have to let it rest for a little bit. And I did this today. I had my cast iron out and I let it come down pretty close to room temperature, got that cast iron really hot, and then just seared the bejeez out of both sides of that really good, I like an 80-20 mix in my burger in terms of the, the lean to, to fat ratio, uh, but I really got a good sear going on and got a bit of the brown caramelization on that burger and then here's the part that I, I used to turn my nose up at this. I say, I'm not going to do that. But I took the cast iron, put it in the oven after I had seared both sides really well for 10 minutes, about, give or take, at 350. Already had pre-seasoned it with spices. And then I'm able to pull it out. You got to be careful when you put a cast iron in there. It's so easy to be like, oh, I'm going to grab my cast iron. I have, 
I'm not, I have, knock on wood, I'm good with knives and haven't cut myself in any of my cooking expeditions really, but I do burn myself like like an imbecile on a regular basis. I'm like, that pan doesn't look hot. But anyway, you got to be careful with cast irons. So I, I grabbed the, uh, well, first I put on an oven mitt, you know, a very, a very masculine oven mitt. And I, I took that burger out and I find that a very useful uh, rule of thumb, if you will, kind of a double entendre here, is if you think of your thumb and the way it connects into your hand, you can press on the different parts of it. The closer you get to your wrist, there's a different firmness. And when you get really close to your wrist, it's very firm on your hand. And then if you go up towards your thumb, it gets a little softer. You really want it to feel like the center of the burger, to feel a bit like the part of your hand that's below your thumb, but midway between your wrists. So it has give, but it's not mushy. If you put your finger in the middle of that burger and it's mushy, you got a raw burger in the middle. So that's why you got to do a little bit of, I, people I know use thermometers and all kinds of stuff, but I'm not fancy like that. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you guys this right now. Uh, it's not a humble brag, it's a straight up brag. I, I cooked a phenomenal burger for lunch today. Uh, I was very proud of myself. So that was my little gift to myself after I worked out and uh, almost almost yacked on the floor a few times during my workout. A reminder that maybe I shouldn't just like let things go for a few months and then be like, I'll start working out again at some point. You know, I'm not trying to be like an underwear model here, folks. I just don't want to have to buy another new set of clothing (laughs) this holiday season, which may happen, may happen. Uh, The good thing is, you know, Miss Molly works in fashion, so she'll just be like, yeah, I think... uh, I think we I think we can get you a good poncho you know I, I think we'll get you something that'll you know just we'll just cover all that up for the winter months <sighs> yeah working out in burgers the struggle is real but this the burger struggle at least I won that one today uh, I have a, a lot of fantastic team buck speaks emails and uh, messages via Facebook that are a lot of them are responses to yesterday's show and uh, some are just general thoughts We'll get into that right after the break. And uh, if you're listening, by the way, and you have not already, please go uh, and subscribe on iTunes to this show. Uh, As we go into the new year, we do have our history podcast getting launched. If you are a subscriber on iTunes, even if you listen to the show live on radio, you will get that history podcast, which you need to subscribe to the podcast for it. All right, we'll be back with Team Buck Speaks. Stay with me. All right, team, it's where you all get to take over the show. It's time for Team Buck Speaks to uh, close us out on this uh, lovely Wednesday evening. Here's what we got. Dear Buck, uh, this is from Jonathan. Love listening. You do a great job. Just a thought. This attempted bombing in NYC just shows that the left is against guns and not for saving lives. Otherwise, we would see an uproar about needing stronger control on bomb components. Also on Monday, you spoke about a same-sex couple fighting for who has rights after divorce to a child that was brought into the world assisted by a sperm donor. Maybe I'm missing something here, but why does this require changing the law or the terms defining parents? Many heterosexual couples have been in this situation That is why I'm sure there's a clear law that addresses when a married couple divorces and defines who has custody to the child born by assistance of a sperm donor. Uh, Am I missing something? Keep up the great work, Shields High. Uh, Jonathan, my understanding in that case is that the 
parental rights of the donor were not, as a matter of law, uh, vacated. There's some process that one goes through. Uh, I don't really know much about it beyond that, uh, but I will go back and look at the. Uh, I'll go back and look at the specifics in the case, and if I have a more robust answer for you, I'll come back on air and let you know. Um, Andy, with the following, hey Buck, I'm listening a couple days behind. Just heard your analysis on the Shaver shooting. Thank you for that. I saw this video and I was going in expecting to be siding with the police as I usually do. This was an exception. After watching, I tried to do the activities that the murderer instructed him to do. I failed miserably and I didn't have a gun 10 feet from me. Thank you for being honest and not just a talking head for the police. This is why I listen to you and value your opinion. Shields high, Andy. Well, Andy, thank you. And I would just say that I also usually go into any video that is uh, captioned, you know, police murder on tape or something. And I say, you know, the, the, sus, the suspect or subject is is not going to comply, maybe has some, you know, rude words to escalate the situation with the cops is fighting. And and then in the heat of the moment, something happens. That's not what I saw. And I explained in detail what I did see in that uh, Daniel Shaver shooting. Um, so a lot, a lot of emails and messages have come in on that. I'm glad we talked about it yesterday again on the show because clearly it, it resonates with many of you. Uh, this is from uh, Ryan, who is writing from Iraq. Uh, Buck, I'm writing in response to the uh, Philip Brailsford verdict, but first I need to address Officer Dan's call. Officer Dan from Ohio has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to your career. You served your country bravely and did more than we will ever know. Thank you for your service, Buck. I served four tours in combat as a Marine and have used lethal force on multiple occasions, including at point-blank range. I say this only to describe the perspective I see the issue from. Law enforcement appears to put forward this idea that if someone reaches into their waistband, then it is justified to shoot them. Just because you can legally shoot someone does not mean it is morally justified. The general public tends to give the police some leeway on this, and they do so with good intentions. What the public does not realize is that if the officer has been taught how to make a lethal force statement, he is almost unconvictable. But let's break this down. If the officer has an AR-15 pointed at the person in question, then they have plenty of time to squeeze off accurate shots. If the suspect did draw a pistol and try to shoot the officer... I know this because I have had my rifle pointed at people countless times, and in the instances that I did have to fire, I had plenty of time to engage. A trained pistol shooter typically can draw and fire an accurate shot in under 1.5 seconds at a target inside 10 meters. This is standing with a holster and a concealment garment. This is not kneeling, terrified, drinking, feet crossed with a rifle in your face. This time standard is common among competitive pistol shooters and highly trained personnel. Thankfully, I assume it is highly uncommon in the criminal world and even less common in the normal guy wearing basketball shorts outside of his hotel room crowd. My opinion being that even if Daniel Shaver was a professional shooter and was drawing a pistol, then the officer would have had plenty of time to engage him before the pistol was presented. This police officer and his sergeant, the voice in the video, are a disgrace and should have been sentenced to murder. If a service member in combat had done the exact same thing, he would be in prison. 
I will pray for Daniel's widow and children. God bless them. Respectfully, Ryan in Iraq. Well, Ryan, thank you for your service, and uh, thank you for your kind words about my own little contribution to the uh, war on terror, although it uh, absolutely pales in comparison to what you have been doing, my friend. Uh, Thank you for your uh, very well thought out and, and compelling analysis of the Shaver shooting. I obviously see it the same way, but you, as somebody who has had to be in uh, lethal force situations have a particularly valuable perspective. So thank you for your service, Ryan. Uh, thank you and uh, stay safe out in Iraq. All right, we have uh, Rick in Ohio, in Iowa. Uh, hey Buck, just listen to the podcast. We got a lot of these guys. Just listen to the podcast with that officer from Ohio who called in. He's right about one major thing, but his argument falls apart because he doesn't connect the dots. It is the law that police are allowed to use deadly force to protect themselves, such as when a suspect reaches for their waistband. However, the caller kept saying he disagreed with the tactics and commands used. Well, it was those unreasonable commands and tactics which created the situation, which led to the suspect reaching to pull up his pants. That progression of unreasonable events was the problem which triggered the fatal action. Both cops should have been convicted. Rick, I completely agree. This is why in my piece for The Hill, I wrote, you know, what, what, what's next? The cop can say, I'm not going to feel safe until you do a handstand and I see if anything falls out of your pockets. And then your handstand collapses and you just instinctively grab your side because you're trying not to fall and the cop shoots you. Remember, the cop said, if you have to fall, fall on your face. That's what the cop said. Uh, how many people would do that, you know, instinctively? Think about this. It's crazy. Uh, so... Uh, I appreciate very much you all writing in about it. All right, we got another one here from E. This one coming to us on Facebook. Those others were emails we got at our email address, which is officialteambuck at gmail.com. This is from facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And E writes, Buck, I love your show. I'm probably a bit late on weighing in on this. I listen to you on podcast because I'm out in Hawaii. But I did want to throw in my opinion on the police shooting in Arizona. I'm a former recon team leader and current law enforcement officer. I'm also currently a weapons and tactics instructor for both the Army and law enforcement. I've done all kinds of security operations in all kinds of environments, including high-risk personal security details uh, for high-level DOD NATO personnel in some pretty sketchy places. First, I want to concede the point made by the Ohio officer that this is a high-risk and stressful situation. However, Tyrone pointed out that officers should be able to deal with that. In fact, there are very effective systems used to train against the effects operating in a high-stress environment called stress inoculation. It's been written about extensively by Colonel David Grossman, Gavin DeBecker, and others. I'm sure as a young soldier, I could see myself writing your eft on my rifle. But when you are operating in view of the public, this is completely unacceptable. It shows a mentality that is best held on the battlefield. It is utterly unprofessional. And lastly, you are right. The commands were absurd and unnecessarily complicated. Not only that, but the tactics those officers used were poor even after the shooting. I believe their department needs to do some remedial training. We must not forget that our duty is to protect the public. Shields high, E. Well, E, thank you for all that you do, and thank you for your uh, service and your 
um, very excellent analysis of that tragic shooting. Okay, topic change here in Team Buck Speaks. I don't see much being said, this is from Alan, about the write-in votes that could have swung the election to more. I'm guessing that all of them were Republican. Well, Alan, I, I think it is a sure thing that a lot of them were Republican and the write-in votes were the difference maker here. You're talking about an election that was, uh, the, the difference was 20,000 or so votes out of uh, over a million cast. I mean, that's, that is a razor thin margin. All right, we got one more in here from TJ who writes, my wife and I are on the same page as you and your crew. We also do not drink pop as we call it in the Midwest with one exception. If it's with our whiskey, i.e. whiskey diet or whiskey sour, with squirt, obviously. What squirt? Otherwise, the only carbonated beverage that touches my lips is that of beer. Damn, I sound like an alcoholic. Oh, well, don't judge me, TJ. No judgments, my man. And I need to figure out what squirt is. But uh, yeah, I'm just not a soda guy. I have some vices, uh, meat, bacon, uh, whole milk, chocolate. That's those are the things that I. Oh, and French fries. I am a French fry addict. Uh, unfortunately, for my dad bod fight here. But anyway, uh, I'm glad that you uh, enjoy you enjoy the pop when you need to. All right, team. With that, I just want to say thank you all for listening and for being a part of what I do here every day. Best part of my day is getting to hang out with all of you. Uh, excited to join you again tomorrow, as always. Shields high.